Good morning, everyone. We're here to listen to and appreciate the teachings of our good friend, Joanna Macy. As many of you know, uh, Joanna is a teacher, an activist, a scholar, and a writer who's brought Buddhist wisdom to movements for peace, justice, and deep ecology uh, for five decades. Her direct teaching is at the heart of, of the work that she does. And that work has evolved over the decades. Uh, but we've also learned so much from her books and I can, there are many books and ones that come immediately to mind are World as Lover, World as Self, Active Hope, Coming Back to Life, Mutual Causality in Buddhist and General Systems Theory. Uh, there are many others. I've been honored to, to know Joanna for more than 30 years. Uh, I think first through the connection at Buddhist Peace Fellowship where she was one of the very early and uh, encouraging members. And when I came to work there, uh, she reached out to me and we have been, I've seen her as, as a mentor and a friend for all those years. She plays a very special place in our Buddhist world and has been welcomed at many Buddhist centers, Zen centers, and it comes from her grounding in Buddhist practice, practices that she was exposed to and really dug into uh, from Tibetan teachers and Theravadan teachers going quite far back and which she has fused with her her modern uh, sensibility and her heart for the whole world for what's happening uh, what's happening in the environment what's happening with uh, nuclear energy and nuclear weapons and she teaches that with uh, just a remarkable uh, passion and that passion is still when you talk to her uh, and I think when we listen to her we'll we'll hear it so um, most recently she's been teaching what she calls the work that reconnects. And I think we'll hear more about that. So I'd just like to welcome Joanna and thank you for coming here to Berkeley Zen Center. Hosanna, I want to say Hosanna. <laughs> That's the way I feel. I am so uh, happy to be with you all this morning. And uh, having you be alive and living here in Berkeley, Alan has been uh, one of the great assets of having uh, moved here, actually, but not recently, is 50 years ago, 40 years ago. Uh, at any rate, uh, this moment um, with you, what I'm called to uh, address, what's right in my heart, was um, uh, captured in a memory of what I, uh, of the first time I taught 
moved into public sharing through the way I do in the work that reconnects. Uh, and at the beginning, about uh, 45 years ago here, I was coming back from field work in Sri Lanka. And um, I so I led this, um, to me it was Dharma and practices, but it was using all kinds of images and language and people, mainly people's experience. And uh, I, uh, powerful social activist, friend of mine, who became a friend of mine, attended. Fran Peavy was her name. <laughs> and she said afterwards to me, after this weekend together in this work, she said, Joanna, why are you doing this? And I was about to uh, say, well, it's, I want to make more effective, help us uh, put our bodhicitta, our, our love for this planet, uh, more effectively into action. And, but that didn't, I, those words straight from my solar plexus came the words, I'm doing this so that when things fall apart, we won't turn on each other. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. I found what I am deeply concerned about and feel like a hole in my heart is how we are hurting each other and frightening each other. I listen to the news. I watch things, uh, whether it's the rendition of Julian Assange to this, our so-called legal system, or whether it's the uh, Pentagon budget that just passed larger than ever, over three quarters of a trillion of the, from the, the size of it would make you think it was from the most terrified country in the world. We're so scared. Things fall apart, but we don't find solidarity in each other. All those who are, all of us suffering with it, from it, from the climate catastrophe that is building. We know that, we know about the destruction of the natural world. We know about the escalation of greenhouse gases. We know about the spasms of extinction. And instead of turning to each other or building the means to turn to each other with confidence and trust to work together, we are uh, viewing each other so often, so often, not entirely, we're doing a lot together. I, that is true. The great journey is happening. But I want us to, I want my words with you today uh, to uh, echo my determination to help us learn to trust each other more and, and work together more. Just our sanctions on other countries, 30 countries, when we uh, apply the, it's an act of war. And, and what it, those do is rob the countries 
of any capacity to raise money or open the money. And then that brings famine as it does in Afghanistan, as you know very well. And uh, it, it, um, it directly affects each country, whether it's Cuba or Venezuela or Burundi or Congo, their ability of them to deal with the pandemic, the global pandemic. This is not a time for sanctions. So um, I, uh, I'm looking with, with delight on ways that, and which I, I uh, so love the Dharma for, is enhancing our capacity to uh, find solidarity and to actually take delight in each other. There's, here you are, we're together on planet Earth. Come on, roll up your sleeves. What do you love about being alive? What do you love to do together? <laughs> and uh, there's a practice uh, from uh, the first um, scripture and the Mahayana, uh, which was uh, written down in the uh, first century, you can say, you know, Common Era or BCE, you know, other, but it was right at that point of the turning of the that millennium uh, that this came forward. This wonderful scripture, the Asta Sahasrika Prajnaparamita, or the Prajnaparamita perfection of wisdom in 8,000 lines. And uh, it's dedicated to uh, the mother of all Buddhas. And wisdom appears in this feminine form. And it was, but also it was, all, all scholars point to the fact and, and, and Dharma followers as well, that it's so close to uh, Gautama the Buddha's presentation of causality, the core of his teaching, Paticca Samutpada, that this scripture is known also as the second turning of the wheel of Dharma. And um, it is here that the Bodhisattva is uh, announced or named before it had only been the previous lives of Gautama the Buddha. But now it's all of us who are uh, possessed, obsessed, and illumined by bodhicitta, love for all beings. And, uh, and that this is, uh, and so one of the practices that's actually given in the scripture it's in chapter six, if you want to look it up. It's called The Great Ball of Merit. And I am encouraged by Alan, who said, give us something to do. Uh, I'm going to reach for, mm -hmm. here it is. And I would like to ask you to um, do whatever you, take whatever uh, physical or subjective stance you want to, you can close your eyes or blur your vision, but imagine that as a bodhisattva, 
you are capable of picturing all the humans and now more than the human living now and not just the humans but all the beings all the sentient beings wow oh that's eight billion plus plus all our kinfolk of other species and just call them to mind and so there maybe sometimes I envisage it as a filling mountain ranges rose you know scapes mountainscapes and and there are they're filling them all the people all the people you could just imagine and now as bodhisattva what you are to do is to call in all those who ever lived here at least in this realm let's just we'll limit it to this planet oh vast is their numbers and now hold to mind this bring this thought to mind that in each of these lives there was at least one act of merit performed that no life was so stunted or deprived or toxic that it didn't at least do one act of love one gesture of generosity you know maybe just half a sandwich to somebody just once that's just anything that is motivated by a sense of common fate and respect and sharing that dana so deep in the heart breaks through sometime and now what you do in the practice is you and actually whether you have your eyes open or not i realizing mine are closed but sweep them together sweep all these acts of merit now the scripture i'm doing it quite um word by word but uh doesn't tell you how what they feel like or how you look at them but you sweep them together all these acting oh my gosh what an immensity what hugeness oh and now you pile them up in front of you go on now use your hands use your hands this is very important part of it because you have to get your body into it because usually our bodies help us uh, get scared and stop being scared and now what we do is we pat them together pat them together in a big ball oh that's it and now as it says and this is the name of this meditation in uh, the Astasasrika is you meditation of Anumodana and Parinamana literally meaning jubilation and transformation now that's so jubilation we understand glee invades your heart your heart bursts with delight but also 
parinamana. Now that is, can be uh, the best translation that I can find is turning over. And so that's literally what the Bodhisattva does. And she, they turn it over, this ball, oh, into what? Into the enlightenment of our world, into the healing of our world. Well, that's the practice. So now when people say, Buddhism sounds kind of dull if you want to start out to declare the first noble truth is suffering. <laughs> and you can say, but have you tried jubilation? Yes. All right, so uh, this practice is an amazing, what we've, in the work that reconnects, we've put legs on it <laughs> and uh, seen it and practiced it as uh, in a variety of ways uh, that you can employ your wits to uh, look for uh, the presence of this generosity, of this uh, acting for others, these acts of love where, wherever uh, there are humans, and generally speaking, sentient beings. Um, so one of the ways that we have applied it is to, uh, in our daily life, is to uh, call on it that you've got in this ball of merit are incredible riches and the uh, saintliness of a Gandhi or the courage of his courage as well or as of a uh, kindness of Mother Teresa or the spunkiness of Joan of Arc, or you can pick your, is there in the ball of merit. It didn't die with her or them. They're there in this great ball of merit. It all interpenetrates. And it's there for you. So another way we practice it is uh, when we are looking at the people around us. Now it could be somebody sitting on the bus on the other side of the aisle, or it could be uh, someone that you're having trouble with who irritates you all to pieces. And just open your mind to say, what has this person given to the great ball of merit? Can I detect that creativity, that spunkiness, that bravery, that patience, that forgiveness. And you know, as you detect it, it enriches the great ball of merit and the great ball and, and you as well. And in your own, when you do happen to notice, and this helps you notice that you have got a lot to give you as well and that even a minor holding your tongue when you could have lashed out or complained when you didn't need to. Hmm, you've given it a lot. So um, this uh, 
I bring this to practice to it because I think that it can help us uh, as things get harder. They will, you know. Uh, the words that I use in the books I've written about the time that we're in, actually, uh, is uh, the great unraveling. Our economy is beginning to unravel. Surely you've noticed. Our health systems are unraveling. All the measures of how we uh, build and take care of each other, as well as produce wealth, our agriculture, our educational systems, the ways we've made institutions for, you know, caring for each other. They're unraveling too, as well as their ways of making money. Yeah. So uh, how do we, in this un great unraveling, uh, which we accord uh, quite a bit of description to in my recent books, um, that the um, really help <coughs> uh, leave us in a sense of how are we going to, how are we going to work together and how are we going to trust? Uh, and so one of the things that has, uh, when I look at ways we can learn to trust is uh, I'm fascinated by the Sangha itself. And that uh, at the roots of it, and that's part of the uh, history because it was a time of tremendous unrest. Uh, the traditions, uh, no villages and so much of traditional life at that time in 6th century BC India was, uh, and particularly in that Gangetic plain, there was a tremendous um, uh, shift and a lot that could be creates anxiety. People were drifting to the big cities. It was urbanization. And um, and they were on, on the loose. And they had been defined by their villages. And they were coming to these big... They, they were growing monarchies in the Gangetic Plain, Ganges Plain. And there was... Uh, so people were had lost their self-definition as the culture and traditions of their village life. Uh, there, there was uh, quick wealth that available that had not been the change of status that was uh, could be very unsettling and. Uh, so when the Buddha, and he hung out, it's really interesting. He was from the north, you know. He came from that, the whole series of tribal republics, self-governing along the southern flank of what we call Nepal. 
And, but he was drawn to this area of unrest where two great monarchies were in the process of gathering people into uh, wealth, power over each other, wealth comparatively to each other. So much the fabric of the culture was coming apart. But he hung out there where there was this unrest at the edges of the cities. He gathered, people gathered in large numbers, as you know. And so many of thus have I heard, as he said in this uh, garden or that crowded gathering place, you know. And some historians think, you know, his, his teaching about there's no self was to help people uh, go from who did I used to be and the power I had to uh, I'm not a separate person. I interact with other people. I can, it's a definition of how I belong. And, and then he said, I'll show you how to belong if you want to follow the Dharma of my teachings. You can hang out together and we'll learn what it's like to work together, to think together, to make choices together, to uh, take care of each other. That's great. So you, and, and he named it, and you know the name, Sangha. And it became one of the triple gems, the Buddha, his teeth, then his, the Dharma, his teachings, and the Sangha, those who practice the teachings. Now let's look at the word, Sangha. He knew it very well because it was the name of his assembly that self-governed his tribal republic of the Sakyas, as it was in each of the others of the, uh, that were there. This was how it used to be. And when he moved to where things were such unrest and people feeling so lost, atomized, when he called them together, he called them to a sangha. And he knew how it worked. His father, which in legend, legend, you know, he's called, he was the, he's a king. His father was just one of the elders that made up the Sangha, which back then, you know, was still the patriarchy. Uh, and <laughs> it was men, but it was uh, democratic in that, you know, <laughs> like our, uh, who got the vote. Yeah, uh, and not just men, but certain men by the color of their skin. Mm. I'm talking about not the Dharma, but our beloved country. So this was, he was called, then, and then he said, 
and he expected them to do more than meditate. Now, this if they were placed, they wanted to continue this transformation of consciousness through meditation, through reschooling uh, body, mind, and voice and heart. And this was the place for it. And we are going to run it yourself. There's going to be no big cheese here. No uh, Rome or Jerusalem or as the, the center of this faith, this faith tradition. Not only that, but anybody can join. What? Up to that point, it had been the Brahmins. You're not going to let in. Yeah. <laughs> oh, come on. Yes, and he became, it wasn't easy because in some places, he, they became the laughing stock. They were, the Buddha himself was ridiculed for the people that were allowed freely to join the Sangha. Runaway slaves, yes, there were slaves. Runaway uh, soldiers, swarthy skinned ones, untouchables to the extent that they were viewed as untouchable, didn't it? That was before the code of Manu, which made it a thousand times worse. But at any rate, uh, just let it in for a minute. What it was like to have a Sangha, a, what we have come to view, a sacred institution, uh, be something that was, well, it makes you think of what I learned as a child about who Jesus sat down with and ate his meals with. It's a sacred act, commensality, to eat together. Well, in the Sangha of, the, of this Gautama, the Buddha, it was not just eating together. For one thing, you had to go out and, and, and live off what people felt free to give you. Yeah. But you could... Uh, was with anybody and, and the I loved seeing it it it, it always just increased my the charge I felt to think of the Buddha was uh, the is the matter of fact way he said no come on come on anybody unfortunately <laughs> unfortunately he didn't feel that way about women for a while yeah We've got to remember how vicious and long-lasting is the... Did I say vicious? No, erase that. Excuse me. Uh, I am being recorded, jo Joanna. This is being recorded. Just, you know, I get carried away. <laughs> so, uh, this... So, he... he um, uh, this was absolutely... And not only that, I, I get this. I love it. Uh, there was the rule of called Sangha Beda. That means 
that uh, it's a schism. It's a rule of schism. You, if you can't stand the people in your sangha and you can't agree with them, no matter how much you practice patience and loving kindness, then if you feel it's just not going to work, you can move and that there's some fundamental disagreements there. You and your buddies can move down the road. And there is no opprobrium attached to breaking off and having your own or gradation. Nobody who was, because the Buddha himself said one of the nastiest forms of attachment and egoism is attachment to your views. Yeah, so he took his own teaching seriously, obviously. And so then, uh, so it was everybody's choice and everybody's preference uh, that as they worked together, that uh, you, you were free and encouraged and depended on to follow what we would call our conscience. And then, just in the last century, I think, has this piece of historical research been done uh, in Bengal, as a matter of fact. Uh, but that um, in the discussions, because they were self-ruling, if uh, they would, they would find, and I don't know how, how many um, or what the proportion is, but there was, now it's become evident, um, ballots. People could, when it was deemed useful, gather their choices in some physical form that to which the most appropriate name is a ballot. This is the first use of balloting uh, in human history that we know of so far. So, uh, all of this is precious to me, you know, because of um, what we're facing. Because we, as I feared in the words I said at the start of the teachings that I'm doing this work and building this form of teaching and learning uh, because I fear that when things fall apart, people will turn on each other. And because I'm seeing that happening. And you are too, polarization in our country, a good, 40% of our, our folks who of the, of the voter, of the, uh, believing we have the wrong president, that we elected, that, that he wasn't elected. Yeah. And so there's this atomization. And so we want to turn, don't we, to ways where we can help people feel less frightened and ready, less ready to lash out. 
And apparently, strength, by all measures of our strength of wealth and weaponry, it doesn't help. We're acting so scared. We're keeping all the, all the sanctions and we're uh, arming up to the teeth with these budgets, these increase and in the nuclear, when we're running out of our, the juicy, beautiful, dependable, active, interactive life of our planet. So I give thanks uh, to uh, the Lord Buddha and his teachings. I give thanks to the Triple Gem and the Dharma. I give uh, thanks to um, those who've countless the Bodhisattvas and the elders and the teachers and the Terries and Terras that have brought this down and the way so many other traditions. And thanks for the indigenous teachings of this continent, how they're being heard now and being listened to now. Thanks to the young people who are giving themselves a big loud mouth now, as if they could make a difference. And of course they do. We gotta act as if we make a difference. Each life makes a difference. Each life you have impinges on dozens, hundreds of other lives. We're set up as in the social fabric of our one, particularly those of us living in this richest and so technologically advanced with our countless ways of communicating. We touch so many lives and are touched by them. And that means that there are countless ways in which you can, in which, not you can, but in which it actually happens that your uh, fears and your confidence, your fears and your love, your well-wishing, countless ways that that is uh, disseminated in words and in gestures and in whom you listen to, whom you choose to listen to and the uh, size and activity of your great ball of merit that like the uh, Bodhisattva who is addressed in the perfection of wisdom at the beginning of this whole era
looks at, uses the creativity of the heart-mind to see everything as a uh, cause for uh, loving and trusting other people, other beings, seeing them as woven like you into the fabric of life and certainly into the great ball of merit. And there's a, a poem of Rilke's, you know, one of my great joys in life is translating Rilke. And um, there's one that he wrote uh, in his book of hours uh, when and he was at the time about still in his 20s when the, he wrote this one. And it was written in a, a section of the book that's called um, Book of Pilgrimage. So we're on a pilgrimage in a way, uh, away from the uh, giving substance and to our fears. And bigger leash to our imagination and to the uh, activity of our hearts. And he says, Alles wird wieder groß sein und gewaltig. All will come again into its strength. The fields undivided, the waters undammed, the trees towering and the walls built low. And in the valleys, people as strong and varied as the land. And no churches, I'll read this too, no churches where God is imprisoned and lamented like a trapped and wounded animal. The houses welcoming all who knock. Hi. The house is welcoming all who knock in a sense of boundless offering in all relations and in you and me. Hey, I haven't read that aloud before. I just read it for me. I'm going to start reading. <laughs> wow. Shall I read it again? <laughs> The houses, this is our vision. Even if we have to scramble for our food, that's that we've been through plenty of times of want. Plenty of times of warfare too. We don't have to give in to it and we don't have to let the, well, you can survive the neediness 
and also the fear. The house is welcoming all who knock and a sense of boundless offering in all relations and in you and me. With that, I'll close. And um, Alan, I turn it back to uh, you to um, invite questions or and not just questions, uh, not Q and A, but whatever you want to say in a <laughs> what would it be? Observations and O and C observations and comments. Well, thank you so much, Joanna. I think that I'd like to begin myself with a question. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think how to frame it. It's a question that I've asked you before in, in different ways. Uh, the unraveling is inevitable. Our lives unravel, our bodies unravel. And then, of course, in the, in the great circle of uh, becoming and dissolving, uh, things knit together as well. Um, so we, we have to work with this, each of us, in our individual way. But uh, with what mind should we meet this unraveling as we're experiencing it in the world and in our societies? It's true that we have survived wars, deprivation, disease, famine, all of that. Uh, but also what we live with is the fact that there are many who don't survive. There are many who are damaged. They're, they die, they bear the marks of trauma, they suffer greatly. They are our sisters and brothers. How do we, how do we live with that? With what attitude, with what mind? Yeah, the great sorrow. Um, and it's, it's, uh, so much that the, the, What's particularly painful is uh, when it's avoidable and deliberately brought on others by what you don't uh, let them accumulate or earn or where you make them live or how you lock them up. How do you bear it? Helping to the need for us to face this 
that I felt, especially in America, where you're not supposed to question the way things are. I mean, the power holders don't like you to do that. And so when we're also an optimistic people by our definition and we don't like to feel sad or guilty. So the, uh, a lot of my uh, earlier uh, public life, as, as you may know, had to do with helping people speak their despair about the world we're making and um, to speak their pain and to instead of pathologizing it which has benefited the big pharma a great deal putting people on pills and instead of numbing it down actually have a way of living with this anguish in a way that in, can be ennobling to one's life and the world around you. And so it was a search together for what the pain that our country is outstanding in its ways of pathologizing your anguish for the world. And even from childhood on, put on pills that numb you. And how we can see that the nobility in having an open heart. And in my, I, I found a little bodhisattva carving. I was all bent over in tears wanted a way, make a way of ennobling one's and honoring one's pain for the world by finding activities and thoughts and actions that would lead to you recognizing that your, so much of this pain is actually comes from your caring. It's not craziness. It's not pathologizing. It's, it's your caring. And the caring comes from a disposition to love. And that I don't, there may be other ways that, that people, but this I found uh, has been very helpful uh, to me and to um, people around the world who do the work that reconnects. Uh, it's that we, we go around a spiral as of what has really worked for us. And the first stop is gratitude. You just don't start out with uh, just, it's, it's, we're built with uh, uh, to breathe and and taste and hands that can heal and serve 
we're built to honor our world and to love it. And this gives us basic stance of gratitude. Let's not start out with complaining. Let's start out with being glad to be alive. And even now, this is so strong for me. I am so grateful to be alive at this time of things falling apart. I'm so grateful to this old body. I'm in my 90s now, so that I'm still here. I want to be with my people. And, uh, and, and who wouldn't want to, who would want to miss us? What, what, what we are standing now, you know? Sometimes I think of Buddha fields throughout the universe where people just lining up to take a birth of life on planet Earth. Who would miss that? Have you heard what's happening on Earth? Oh my gosh, this is where there are people finding out what really matters, finding out what it is to love, finding out what it is to care, going off automatic. <laughs> I'm talking too much, uh, but that question set me off. Thank you, beloved Alan. Thank you. Um, I see Lisa Nilbeck had her hand up. Would you like to unmute? And I think we can split the screen. Can you do that, uh, Blake? Thank you, because you have both spoken to what was rising in my mind. I have felt so unempowered and alone in perceiving what you have just been describing, Joanna and having no language with which to connect with other people about it. Um, even within my own family, when I have shared my sense of the unraveling and of the pain of watching what is likely to happen to so many people, um, there is this shutdown that happens. Do not talk to us. Do not tell us what's on your mind. Please, we can't bear it. And I feel um, a longing to have some sense of Sangha that can stand with each other in our pain. I, I, the work on trauma and working with our conditioning feels to me like the way in. Everything I learned through that is helping with the next appropriate step. But I, I am so grateful for your voice. I want to thank you for still being here and being, having the hope that living through this is not, it's not the first time this has happened on earth. That's also a very helpful teaching from this morning. I, I'm just like, I'm, I'm thinking and I'm imagining we're a social species. We need to be social. We absolutely have to be connected. Mm -hmm. And imagine a bee colony faced with extinction. Now that's us. How, how, when there are so many incentives for the ones who think the way is 
to be selfish or to try to protect their own family. How, how to work with this? Um, so I, I, all of the things you've said have been so helpful, especially that this isn't the first time. Let's enjoy, enjoy the wisdom of all the grandmothers and grandfathers of all the cultures all the way back. Thank you. Thank you. Sometimes I just to add, you spoke of uh, even your family. Well, sometimes families can be the hardest. Shiri, would you like to say something? Yes. Hello, Joanna. Hi. Hi. I'm I'm jumping all the way from Israel, and a friend oh. invited me to join you for this uh, event. So thank oh, you. Oh, Shiri, it's you. Oh, Shiri. Yeah. Hi. Hi. <laughs> oh, oh, oh you great. Yeah, and I'm happy that I've joined. Because just um, a couple of weeks ago, I was uh, I gave a workshop uh, with the Truth Mandala and the Cradling in uh, in the climate um, climate camp, basically of the Israeli environmental movement, with a lot of young people that came for three days of learning and and acting and learning how to be advocates and everything. And what we heard that so many young people are desperate today. So many young people are feeling that there's no future for them and not, not and, and both the young people and the people who work with them, we have parents for the climate change and we have teachers for climate change and they asking, how should we work with the youth? How should we work with the children? So I wanted, if you, if you may, if you, willing to say a few words and I'll be so happy to pass it on to them. <laughs> you know what to say, but just say, Joanna and I <laughs> say trust, let help people trust their grief and have them know that the, your sorrow and your grief here is just the other side of love. And if you're afraid to feel the pain, you'll numb yourself to the love. You did the uh, truth mandala. What was the other thing you did? You said mentioned. We did the cradling. Oh, cradling, yeah. Oh. Yeah, and it to help, and they felt so. Um, they were so tense in the beginning, and they were so. They felt help in the end. Yeah. See, we want to love each other. I think deep down we want to trust each other. I, at least I hope so. I don't know when I look at our foreign policy. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Bless you. Thank you. I love seeing your face. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> and hearing your voice. Yeah. Thank Keep you on. so much. Sandeep. Hi. Um, Thank you, Joanna, for your talk. I wrote a message in the chat for you, um, but I really wanted to say thank you in person with my voice and my face. 
Um, Because it means so much to hear you say those words at your age and embody such wisdom. It gives me encouragement and hope. It still feels like you're shining brightly. Um, And it's been getting hard. And you tell me it's going to get harder. I get kind of nervous, but you seem steady. So we're all going to collectively keep going together. Um, And I wanted to say thank you also for um, being a messenger of darkness and embracing the power of darkness. Um, Helen, Zenju, and Andrea and I attended, or sorry, Helen, I, and um, Andrea attended Zenju Earthland Manuel's retreat in October. And it was an opportunity for us to kind of embrace suffering and and go enter into the darkness, give voice to it, give birth to it, um, and nurture it. And and I feel like this was an an amazing extension of that. So thank you. That's right. Yeah. There's such good things that come out of the dark and that you can do in the dark. And uh, speaking of acting our age, you know, you didn't begin, we, none of us began at our birth. It's just everything, every atom in our body goes back to the um, flaring forth of the universe. That's true. So if you talk about act your age, you can think, well, (laughs) shall it be 4 billion years as Earth or 13 billion years as this universe? But that's alive in you and that's why I, yeah. And there's so much uh, fun you can have with that and such a sense of... uh, letting the earth live through you in this moment. Yeah, I see it in your face. I'm so glad to see your face. (laughs) Yes, I'm going to see family. So thank you for kind of putting it into words. I feel like I'm glowing, so thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Sandeep. Um, There is one more hand raised and a question in the chat, and I think we'll, we'll have to end after that. Uh, let me ask the question in the chat, and then Stephanie, you can have the last uh, uh, visible uh, question. Question in the chat is from uh, Janae Bosquet. Uh, she says, Joanna, you spoke of the spiral we are in, starting with gratitude. I wonder how you see the other stages of the spiral. Oh, thank you. <laughs> no, because we actually in all of them. And I see that's what happens when you're in your, there are great things about being in your 90s. I just, I've never been so happy. But, uh, but <laughs> the memory part is really, <laughs> I have to have, to have a word with our maker. <laughs> anyway, um, so the spiral is describes what you, we find ourselves going through that in the work that we connect and in your life. But then that spiral is like a fractal so that it can, you can find it 
uh, in the space of a day or in the space of the project that something do or in the space of uh, and now we're some of us are actually uh, doing it in just a matter of within a minute or two uh, when we're faced with something so first one gratitude Whoo! so don't close down before you've responded at all which so often we do did we fall into complaining so just be you know we can't do anything for life unless we're glad to be here okay and then then and then uh we're grounded enough to open our heart minds uh, to the pain that's in our hearts and and that's we see around us and we learn to uh, honor it because we see that it's another our openness to it is the other face of love and then uh, but then once we uh, open to that it's like more uh, scales fall from our eyes and we are able uh, to see and, and, and experience more. And that, so the third um, part in the, uh, is, is of the, what's it called? Spiral. Um, <laughs> is seeing with new eyes. And some like to call it also seeing with ancient eyes. Or, but, uh, because a, a lot then uh, becomes more evident to you. Uh, and, and so you begin to really open then to our deep ecology. How much all, all the species are in you and in your heart or how much the your awareness of the um, suffering of the past and the future and what that can allow for the intelligence it's like steps to we're on the brink of more collective forms of intelligence that's an important part of this we must remember that that we are learning how to feel together and to think together. And fear is one of the, it just closes the door. Okay, so then uh, that's seeing with no eyes. And then, then at, with that, you become aware of so much that can happen through you. You don't have to think everything up. You don't have to uh, achieve a phenomenal new access to strength and valor and much immoral imagination. It's it just, you're opening like this, the world starts. You start letting uh, Earth herself speak and sustain you like grace. And then you don't, you know, you don't have to understand and know everything and do it all yourself. Just let let it happen through you yeah and then and then so that's that's the what do we call that mm -hmm. uh, going for it thank you <laughs> yes thank you <laughs> so uh 
Oh, yes, there's just another person, so I won't tell you all to go forth yet. Hang around for a moment. Stephanie has something to say. Yes, Stephanie. Thank you. Good morning, Johanna. I have never met you before, and it's really been a pleasure listening to your talk. I feel very moved almost to tears how much love you've brought up in me. And I remember when Sojin, one of the last things I remember him saying was that everything was love. And somehow you've distilled that down in a way that's really powerful. I'm very glad that you're still here. Thank you. <laughs> you make me very glad I'm still here too. <laughs> uh, and, and thank you all for uh, joining us today and being here and for welcoming me. And Alan, thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much for being here, Joanna.